Scott Colborn with Exploring Unexplained Phenomena. Good morning. When I started this way back in 1984, we'd say good morning, Lincoln, because if the signal reached the city limits on a good day with the wind blowing the right direction, we were really fortunate. And then we got a stronger transmitter. So we're then talking about a lot of southeast Nebraska, almost up to Omaha. And then when we got the internet presence now, we are worldwide. And to add to that, you could be listening to me on the archive, which is uh, kind of interesting because that's, it's that's, sort of uh, a... That's like time travel, isn't like it? Like a time travel yeah. thing. So whether you're listening to me now or now, it's, it's great to have you there. And this other voice is the voice of Mr. Jim Shorney. That's me. Jim, where were you born and raised at? Okay, thank you very much, Jim. Move you right along here. <laughs> well, that was a quick interview. <laughs> no, where do you hail from, Jim? Uh, born in David City, Nebraska. Grew up in Plattsmouth, Nebraska. Are you a river boy? I'm a river boy. So it's good to have you here. How's your week been? Uh, pretty good. Uh, good week at work. Good week at home. I don't know if you've tasted that yet, but this is full strength. Well, somebody's been making me talk on the microphone, so I haven't had a chance to taste this it yet. Is, this it is robust. Really robust? Yes. Just the way I like it. This is a 100-mile cup <laughs> right here. Wow. We got Costa Rican in our cup. What's in your cup? Hey, let me tell you what we got in store for you today. First of all, we got lots of you people to thank from last week for... The big fundraiser. We raised uh, just uh, a couple of dollars over a thousand dollars. Wow! About a thousand two dollars. Our listeners are so awesome. And the fundraiser uh, continues because we've got um, an uphill battle right now to get to our uh, uh, goal of forty thousand. We're just a tad over twenty-eight thousand right now, and so we want to get to forty thousand. And we're looking to you folks out there as listeners who've been listening for weeks, months, or years to give us a donation. Two ways to do that, 402-474-5086 or online at kzum.org. Um, we've got bills to pay just like you do, and there's over 60% of our operating budget that comes from the local folks. So we'd love to talk to you now or later, preferably now, if you use it, you got to back it. If we've been in your ears here for weeks, months, or years, then show us some green. Show us a check, debit card, credit card. We'd love to, uh, to hear from you. 402-474-5086. We're going to start the show with Charlene with the Capital Humane Society as we wait for the phones to ring. And then we've got Lloyd Arbach who is our resident mm -hmm. parapsychologist. And uh, then we've got our main guest, Rob and Trish McConnell, a brand new book called Phenomena, Harnessing Your Psychic Powers. What do you say, Jim? Let's get Charlene up and running Let's here. do that. Charlene, good morning to you. Good morning. How are you? Things are really good. Hey, what's going on at the Capital Humane Society? Well, we're looking forward to opening our doors at 11 and having lots of adoptions. I think we did about 18 yesterday, so we're oh, looking wow. forward to having... I know, Great. I know. That's awesome. We're, 
Yep, cats, kittens, dogs. So, and we have a couple rabbits looking for homes too. So we are so grateful that people choose adoption as a way to acquire their pet. Those pesky rabbits. rabbits. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, let's let's dial these folks up, Jim. They're at capitalhumanesociety.org. Mm-hmm. And uh, look at that. Somebody went ahead and saved that here in my in my computer. Was that you? That uh, that was probably Ryan. That was probably Ryan. Yeah. Okay. Well, we've got uh, cats for adoption. We're going to start with some great cats. Charlene, who's first up? Let's start with Kiki. She has a really cute Aww. picture up. I already like the name. <laughs> yeah. Cute, kind of tilted little head, very inquisitive. She is four years old, a domestic short hair, cute little pink nose, bright eyes. She's a Torby, uh, so she's got some tortoiseshell markings and some tabby markings. Uh, she is a little bit shy, so she will appreciate a nice, quiet home with hiding spots if needed. What a pretty kitty. Look at that. Uh-huh. Okay, Kiki. I like her. Yeah. And she's got a buddy. <laughs> Two cats are better than one, so how about? Inky. I-N-K-Y. An all-black kitty. Four years old, domestic, short hair, very shiny fur. He's having a little nap there. You can tell he'd really appreciate a home with some sunny spots he can bask in. Um, He's going to be a fine companion, and we hope someone will be asking about him today. Uh, This picture of Inky brought to you by the American Box Company. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh, boxes make the best cat beds, I think. Yep, those are so fun. Now, <clears throat> it's almost like we're writing a song here. We've got <clears throat> Kiki and Inky. Kiki and Inky went down the road to... Somewhere. You guys didn't come in, so we're going to leave it right there. <laughs> Please. Kiki and Inky and then... Luna. And Luna is two years old, a spade female, has short hair. She's uh, got a lot of white and then orange tabby markings. Uh, Very pretty and charming, hoping that somebody will give her a loving home. So if you're ready to adopt, ask about Luna. Oh, all your cats are so beautiful. Yeah. Just Now, just for the Star Wars fans out there, I have to give a shout out. I see you have a cat named Kenobi. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Kenobi's pretty cute, too. Star Wars fans. Cat. Yeah, Star Wars fans, go look. This is the cat for you. Uh, CapitalHumaneSociety.org. Take a look at the pictures there. Jim's uh, audible call was Kenobi. And Kiki, Inky, and Luna. And better yet, go out and see him today. Here's Charlene with hours open. Our Pylock Pet Adoption Center is open today and tomorrow from 11 to 530. Okay, well, right off the bat, I've got dogs up for adoption here, and I'm looking at the picture of Bo. <laughs> and I don't, that, that is a quizzical expression that he's got. Mm-hmm. You know, like, did you really want me to... Look at that expression. Isn't that fun? Yeah, I, w- I was actually holding the leash in that picture, and our amazing volunteer photographer, that's the first picture she took. He just walked in, and she snapped a picture, and it's perfect. He's Aww. just so cute, one brown, one blue eye, um, a very happy dog, full of energy, just 11 months old, so we'll need a home with people who have time to provide him with some training, um, but he is gorgeous. 
Um, so Bo is looking for a great home. A fenced backyard will be good. And somebody perhaps that wants to get out and do that permanent weight loss program of walks twice a day, he would love to meet you. Now, Bo's got a good friend. Bo's friend's name is? Truman. And Truman is also a gorgeous dog. Oh, look at that. A husky mix. Yeah. Yeah, about a year old, a neutered male, about 60 pounds, so a larger dog, um, full of energy. So does need somebody who can keep up with him. He'd love to be your running partner. Um, He also would benefit from obedience uh, so that he can know what you want from him and be a very polite friend. And he is looking to be the only dog in the home, so he wants to be your one and only canine. Okay, true man. He's a cool dog. His picture's at capitalhumanesociety.org. And who's up next? If you're looking for a smaller dog, there's Buzz. Six years old, a rat terrier mix, a real sweetheart. He has a little stub tail that's always just wagging wildly. (laughs) (laughs) He can be a little bit shy, so he's looking for a home with kids over 12 who can respect his boundaries, uh, but a sweet dog, and he knows the right family is out there for him. So somebody walks into a group of dogs and says, well, which one is Angel? And the response is... uh, Just look for the dog when you call Angel that has the gigantic ears. (laughs) Buzz went, what? What? Angel and Buzz were side by side. They're cool, cool dogs. And I like Buzz. I used to have a uh, uh, friend that uh, I knew, gosh, 20, 25 years ago. And that was his nickname. I always thought that was pretty cool. Um... And, of course, there's the, the, uh, the toy soldier, toy story. I think one of the characters is named Buzz in there, isn't he? Uh-huh. Yep, you're right. Well, uh, hours open today and tomorrow for these great dogs. Please visit us at our Pylock Pet Adoption Center. We are open on Saturday and Sunday from 11 to 530. Um, what plans do you have for the rest of the weekend? It should be a busy day here at Capital Humane Society. I'm doing a volunteer orientation and then later training for new volunteers. So we're so grateful for all the volunteers that come out and help us. And then tomorrow is my day off. So I've got some some chores at home that I have to tackle. I hope you have a great weekend weather-wise as well. Thanks, Charlene, for all that you do. Thank you. Have a great day. Charlene and friends at the Capital Humane Society, make them the first place you go. What do you want to adopt a dog or a cat? Next up is our good friend, author and parapsychologist Lloyd Arbach. And Lloyd, good morning to you. Morning, Scott. So you're out there on the West Coast. How are things weather-wise for you? Well, it's been uh, dry, which is not always a good thing here, but it's been really, you know, in the, it gets down into the high 30s, low 40s at night, and We've been getting weather here in the Bay Area in the 60s. Okay. Well, that's that's not a bad winter. Yeah. Very nice. Uh, Lloyd, you are a busy guy. You've got classes. uh, One has started on February 3rd called Field Investigations, Apparitions, Hauntings, and Poltergeists. And uh, is that based upon your book, ESP, Hauntings and Poltergeists? Well, 
actually not. Uh, not directly, anyway. Okay. Um, the online class is based on my work in the field. I mean, ESP Honics and Poltergeist was based actually on a course I had been teaching for JFK University, mm-hmm. but back when we had the graduate parapsychology program, along with what I had learned myself. And this course is just kind of a culmination of what I've learned and what, what we seem to, to know in the field mm-hmm. about methodology, about the way we do investigation, about helping people when they have these kinds of situations, uh, about alternative explanations, and a little bit of history, and of course we talk a little bit about the technology that people see on TV all the time. And even though it started February 3rd, um, some of this you can do online and or live, so could people still join that? They can. Um, it, it's, uh, I would suggest if they're going to join that they join soon, but yeah, they can definitely re- join the class at this point. So if you're interested, folks, in how to, and as importantly, if you've had something going on in your house or place of business that you want to try to sleuth out, uh, this would be a great way to get educated and up to speed. Field investigations, apparitions, hauntings, and poltergeist. Uh, That word poltergeist is bantied about, but I don't know that we have a proper understanding of that word. What, how would you define that, Lloyd? Well, there, there are two applications of it, one here in the U.S. and one over in the U.K., but basically it boils down to a label that's applied to a situation in which there's physical activity with, with an unknown cause. So typically, you know, classically you have things moving around, you have objects breaking. Uh, in the last probably few decades we have a lot of technology, computers going haywire, uh, your phone's not working, just things happening that are of a physical nature, which basically means that unlike a typical apparition case or ghost case, uh, you actually can see any, any witness, every witness who happens to be looking in the right direction can see things happening. And that makes a big difference. Mm-hmm. In the U.S., we attribute it specifically to living agents, to the unconscious mind of a living person who's usually under stress or sometimes having neurological issues. In the UK, they, they first apply it to the any case that has anything physical moving around, and then they'll subdivide it into those cases with which also have apparitions or ghost scenes where they attribute the physical action to the ghost, or they'll label it as a living agent mm-hmm. case. Uh, when, we ha- when we have cases with apparitions, if the apparition seems to move something, we just make that still an apparition case. We don't use the word poltergeist mm-hmm. for that. A, a lot different than that movie by the same title that had the a whole opening up that was well, the gateway to hell. And Right, right. Well, I mean, that's the thing. Is that, that was, of course, that movie, oddly enough, people seem to think that movie is based on reality, and yet um, that was not based on any single case or anything that has been reported, certainly not the kid disappearing in, you know, into another dimension. But people believe that that was real. Yeah, back in grade school, before a big test, I had wished several times for my teacher to disappear into another dimension, but it never worked. The test well, went yeah, on. That's a human nature thing, I think. Uh, then you've got a four-week class that's starting um, early next month in March called How to Choose a Psychic. And... Um, 
I think that is a, a class that we need to learn more about because people will say, oh, geez, well, have you thought about going to see a psychic? Well, maybe, but gosh, how do I pick one, right? Yeah, that's a, that's a part of the course. So it's, it's really the, the full-length um, title of the course is How to Choose a Psychic or Medium and Assess a Reading. So basically, not only just, you know, finding one, but also if you go to one, how do you determine whether or not that's psychic or even helpful to you? Mm-hmm. So I even cover a little bit about psychic frauds that people are a little armed with uh, looking out for certain telltales. It's and, not always easy to find a site. You know, it just isn't. Hmm. So a, a good psychic may not be that person that has <clears throat> 20,000 followers on Twitter uh, or that commands right. $25,000 a night for a, uh, a, a, a group conversation. Uh, there may be somebody right in one's locale or nearby that flies very far under the radar that is still very, very good. As well as, I think, would, would this class also talk about what goes into being a good psychic in that maybe some of those same aspects are within each of us? I think so. Uh, you know, I do touch on that a bit. Uh, I talked about the qualities. You know, there's two aspects to, to, a, to a good psychic. Mm-hmm. If you think about going to see uh, a doctor or bringing a plumber into your house, or anyone who, who does something for you. You know, there's two aspects here. One, you have a problem, and you want the problem solved. Mm-hmm. So you want a good problem solver, and that means that whatever you get from that psychic has to be useful. I mean, if we have a plumber come into our house and the plumber doesn't fix something, who, you know, I'm going to have to look for another plumber. Forget that plumber. Uh, I may get a second opinion from another doctor. So it's, it's important to know that you have to find, depending on why you're going to the psychic, so that's a good part of it, why am I going? You have to know that whatever I get needs to be useful. Because it doesn't matter whether you pay $10 or $10,000, the information's not useful, it was a waste of time. Mm-hmm. That's, that's if that's why you're going. And a lot of people go to see like storefront psychics and other folks because they're interested or because it's fun. And those are perfectly good reasons to do that, but I would keep Keep that to a low, you know, a low cost situation as much as possible. Um, the other piece of the the psychic being useful, or the medium being useful or helpful, is also the personality. I mean, you could have a the best electrician come into your house and fix everything perfectly, and the guy's a real ass, and you'll never have him come back. Nope. Because of that, the personality doesn't work, or you don't like your doctor because he's he doesn't spend any time, or there's all sorts of reasons from a personality perspective. And the better psychics have similar personality um, pieces. I guess you could say, for one thing, uh, when I work with psychics in investigations, they have got to be secure enough to kid around a little bit about, even about the, the situation, about their own experiences. And they also have to know not to overblow um, their claims. Um, so many of those high price psychic especially talk about being 98% accurate or 100% accurate. And, I, and, and I've asked people like that, what do you mean by that? Because the only way they could know that they are 90% accurate or 95% accurate 
is if they followed up on every single statement they made to every single client throughout time. And that never happens. Mm-hmm. They may never follow, never talk to that client again, or even if they see that client again, they're not going to ask them how much or start keeping statistics uh, on a cheat, a shit, excuse me, a cheat, cheat sheet on how accurate they were on things. So that's either that person doing marketing and it's false marketing because no one's 100% accurate in anything, or it's their measure of customer satisfaction. And for the ones who are doing it who don't know any better, because there are some that I've met where they don't know any better. And when I explain to them what their statistics actually mean, they go, oh, well, I mean that I have 90% of my clients come back to me. That's customer satisfaction. That's still a good measure, yep. but it's not accuracy. Mm-hmm. Okay, this is Lloyd Arbach, and uh, there's more information on these classes at the Rhine, R-H-I-N-E, RhineEducationCenter.org. And looking up the information for today's show, then I find that there's a one-day workshop, Lloyd, coming up Saturday, April 15th, or excuse me, April 18th. Yeah, that's in the Seattle area, though, so I think it's a little out of the area for your immediate listeners, unless they're on the on the web right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, a good friend of mine who is a psychic I've worked with over the years, uh, by the name of Ankasha Menti, is sponsoring a workshop for me to, uh, to do up in the Seattle area, and it Kind of, you know, so you want to be medium thing. It's really directed at, at two types of people. Uh, people who see mediums and psychics and really want a better understanding, kind of like my online class, but a little different uh, orientation. It's also geared to helping people understand their own medium or, or experiences with the afterlife, afterlife communication, after-death communication type things. And then for those people who think they are mediums or want to be mediums, they want to hang out a shingle, um, it's really how to determine whether that really is the case for you and whether it makes sense to even go forward forward with that kind of business. Uh, so this is, uh, uh, excuse me, April 18th. I would bet that that's the third Saturday. You won't be doing this segment that day. That is correct. I'll try to make myself a note here. Um, yeah, now we should talk, because I don't know that I'll be doing next month either. I may be traveling next month, too, unfortunately. So if, if uh, they went to your Facebook page, Lloyd, L-O-Y-D, Auerbach, A-U-E-R-B-A-C-H, uh, they'll see the link for this Seattle-based workshop. If you're in that area, this might be really fun. Um, I've got a friend who is a psychiatrist that lives out in that area. I'm going to let him know about this too, Lloyd. Okay, uh, anything else going on for you? Well, at the moment, uh, I'm also teaching, finished in the middle of a course for Atlantic University on kind of an introduction to entire psychology, because we still teach a graduate course that's online. And uh, it's... uh, going into a season where I'm traveling for other reasons other than, than psychic work. Mm-hmm. But I, I will mention one thing, and I thought it's, it's really important for your listeners to know. You know, everybody seems to like to go to Wikipedia for information. Um, it is, in this subject matter, as you know, Scott, it is one of the worst possible sources 
for information on the unexplained because they have such a skeptical, critical, cynical bent. So the Society for Psychical Research started last uh, a couple of years ago. Actually, it's really robust, robust now. They started their own science encyclopedia and sort of people want information on a variety of aspects of psychic ability, psychic functioning, research, individuals in the field, and they're still building that. So they're still doing biographies of people in the field. They can go to the SPR, the Society for Psychical Research site, which is spr.ac.uk, and they can click on the Science Encyclopedia link. That's the easiest way to get there. Excellent, it's a excellent really information. Cool resource. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, great. Lloyd, it's all, always great to talk with you, and safe journeys uh, everywhere for you. Thank you, Scott. Lloyd Orbach joins us every third Saturday, and uh, he's the author of many books, including ESP Hauntings and Poltergeist, which is a classic uh, in the field, uh, Mind Over Matter, uh, written uh, in part about our common late friend Martin Caden, uh, Psychokinesis, uh, a whole host of, of great books. Lloyd Arbach, A-U-E-R-B-A-C-H. I'm Scott Colborn, and you're listening to Exploring Unexplained Phenomena. We're going to take the bottom of the hour break. And then speaking of phenomena... Phenomena. I, li- gonna, I like that word, phenomena. Yeah, phenomena. We're going to come back with Rob and Trish McGregor, and they've got a brand new book out called phenomena harnessing your psychic powers it'll be a good follow-up to the conversation we just had with lloyd here sure will scott colborne with exploring unexplained phenomena hey it's sure great to have you with us uh if you're listening locally in kzum land uh, lincoln nebraska or southeast nebraska we've got a lot of you folks also uh, online and you're listening worldwide i can jim i could go to this cool thing that is a streaming map. It is, yeah, that's that's really cool. And I can let's see if I can back this thing it's out. Like we got uh, several around Lincoln, and maybe a couple in Omaha, and uh, what's that? Northern Iowa or Minnesota? East Coast, Southwest United States, uh, England. Let's see. This is uh, yeah, Hastings, United Kingdom. Yeah, UK. Or it's uh, probably evening over there right and now. And look at this. This is a... Yeah. Russia. Russia is listening. Russia is listening. How about the other way over here? And uh, It doesn't look like anybody in China is listening. So no matter if you're in Lincoln, the United States, or the world, it's great to have you with us. And it gives me great pleasure to bring up our next guests, Rob and Trish McGregor. These are folks that have been at this for quite a while. Rob McGregor is a New York Times bestselling author, 21 novels, 19 nonfiction books in the New Age and self-help field. His novel, Prophecy Rock, won the Edgar Allan Poe Award for mystery writing. Uh, Rob McGregor has worked with George Lucas, Peter Benchley, and Billy D. Williams. He's researched anomalous phenomena for many of his books, including seven Indiana Jones sagas and two remote viewing novels. With his wife, Trish, he resides in Florida, 
Rob teaches classes in yoga and meditation as well. Trish McGregor is the author of Get Ready for This. If you thought Rob had written a lot of books, Trish has written 43 novels and numerous nonfiction books on synchronicity, astrology, the Tarot, dreams. She's won the Edgar Allan Poe Award for her novel, Out of Sight. She and Rob co-authored the Sidney Omar series of astrology books for 10 years. Trish teaches workshops on the Tro and astrology and with their four-legged companions, she and Rob live in Florida. So it's great to have them. And uh, I think we've got you both on this single phone line. Is that correct? I hope so. Yes, <laughs> we're here. Okay. How is the weather in Florida besides being heavenly? It's, it is heavenly today. It's gorgeous. <laughs> it's nice. About 75 degrees, I guess. Uh, yesterday was 87, which, uh, you know, I, I find that a bit on the hot side for uh, February. <laughs> for February. We like to have some cool weather here as uh, locals, you know, because we don't get many. We get 87 and 90, you know, for nine months of the year or so mm -hmm. we're looking for 40s you know 50s something like that but we, we only get that for a few days of the year here uh, i i don't know exactly where you live uh are you close to the water or removed no, we're about 15 15 miles inland so we're in south florida, in south it's, florida. Uh, inland from west palm beach and with with all the weather and things that's probably a good place to be i don't know Really, I don't, if, know, I don't know about that. <laughs> if I want to have hurricanes, uh, flooding, uh, it's uh, you know the the long term future in Florida doesn't look good. No, it sure doesn't. <laughs> yeah, have, have you folks? Um, you're obviously liking Florida for a number of reasons. Have you ever thought about relocating? Yeah, we have. Uh, last year, in fact, we started looking farther north in Florida. We couldn't really find an area that we liked. I mean, the idea was that we would move closer to our daughter, who's in Orlando. Okay. But I've, and I've always been interested in uh, Asheville, North Carolina, and the mountains of western North Carolina, but I can't uh, convince Trish that would be... Uh, I mean, I love Asheville. I just don't like winter. <laughs> yeah. Um, years ago, I knew um, um, Martin Caden, and uh, he lived Oh, we in, knew Martin. Yeah, he lived in Cocoa yeah. Beach, Florida. And right. he so uh, much enjoyed... He lived in, yeah, he lived in Gainesville, too, for a while, at the end of his life. Yeah. He so much enjoyed uh, coming up to Lincoln that he had seriously looked at uh, moving to Lincoln, Nebraska. He loved the folks oh, really? and what we were doing here. But then he told me, Scotty, I can't do it because I've researched the uh, personal property taxes and things, and uh, uh, you can't beat Florida. It would cost yeah, me thousands good. of dollars to to come to Lincoln. So even though we had a friendship, it wasn't that strong to get him to break through that. So. Yeah, he's a good guy. Yeah. Um, Rob and Trish, is it safe to say that you wake up every morning curious? Yes, that's probably a good way of describing it. Yeah, I mean, we uh, are, you know, ready to ready to go as soon as we're, we're up and, uh, you know, uh, like I think two thirds or three quarters of uh, of people we used to have regular uh, jobs and just you know disliked them. I mean, that, mm -hmm. I think that's the 
statistics, something like two thirds to three quarters of people don't, you know, don't like their jobs. And uh, we're in that uh, get that category. I was working as a newspaper reporter, as a journalist, it's a great profession, but I just had a, a terrible situation with an editor that just would make, uh, if something was uh, a little bit hard, he would make it 10 times harder, uh, just in spite, and that kind of thing. And uh, Trisha's uh, teaching, oh, you can tell. Yeah, I was teaching uh, English to Cuban refugees, which I enjoyed, but it was just teaching as a profession. I just I, I, I got I got burned out. Yeah, I, so. she, was, she was teaching at Florida International University, and I interviewed her for an article, and we hit it off. And uh, before we know it, uh, we both quit our jobs with five thousand dollars in savings, got married, and took off to uh, South America to uh, Chile and uh, Ecuador for our honeymoon for a few weeks. Came back and uh, started working as freelance writers, and we were selling articles and. Uh, doing okay, except uh, the pay was low and the pay was slow. And, uh, you know, so we both took part-time jobs for uh, a year. Uh, and um, That's because we ran out of money. Yeah, we ran out of money <laughs> after, like, uh, uh, not <laughs> it didn't take long. And uh, so during that year, Tricia ended up selling her first novel, which is the sixth one that she had written. Uh, and uh, the first one to be published. And then uh, I got a project <clears> with... Uh, a corporate CEO in Washington, D.C., and to uh, ghostwrite a book. And so we both quit our jobs again, and that was 1985, and we've been at it ever since. Fantastic. Boy, what a, what a wonderful way to, to wake up curious about what life may bring, uh, interested in the world. Um, and, you know, before I dig into your book here, this is just kind of a general comment from having talked with Rob and now Trish a, a, a few times that you're choosing to look at life as being an adventure aren't you? Life is an adventure. Yeah, it's mysterious. I think it's that mysterious part of the adventure that really captivates us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we just uh, encounter these synchronicities all the time, meaningful coincidences that really just alert us that something larger is going on uh, as the, the larger picture uh, beyond the everyday uh, reality of the you know physical world and uh we we feel like we're in contact there to some extent and that's uh where creativity comes from scott here's a weird story back in uh 1984 a friend of ours who was a psychic who worked with police was called in in on a case a missing child case a case of christy luna and she was an eight-year-old girl who had disappeared on her way buy cat food one afternoon no my goodness um, in green acres and the police had you know exhausted all leads so they brought in renee and she invited us to come and and observe the session and renee was a psychometrist well not really she was really an empath but when she looked for people she held objects that the people had owned and with this girl she had some of the girl's toys and Mm -hmm. she um Go ahead. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, and anyway, so what Renee picked up was that the mother's boyfriend was the one who was culpable and that he had killed her in a field and buried her. Oh, God. <clears throat> so we went to the field and it was pouring rain. And she said, you know, she kept telling the cops she's in that field. Well, the field was private, so we couldn't even get in. Okay, so in 2009, a friend of ours who was psychic on the West Coast 
told us that she was coming to Florida to do some police work. And that particular weekend, some of our friends were also going to be in town. One of them was uh, a writer for The Simpsons. Another was Carol Bowman, who is a past life researcher. And then Denny, the uh, psychic. And Nancy McMoneagle, who's now director of the Monroe Institute. So everybody was here for dinner and drinks and fun and just to see what would happen. <laughs> and so the day before the party, I was kind of cleaning up and I ran across a check that Renee had written on in 1985, I think it was, for $50. And it said, repayment on loan. I thought, what the heck? Where'd this check come from? So that evening when the everybody got here, I asked Denny, I said, well, what are you doing here exactly? What what case are you working on? She goes, oh, there's a case of a little girl, a cold case division. Uh, she disappeared in Green Acres. And I just looked at her and I said, was it Christy Luna? And she said, my God, how did you know that? So here was a synchronicity that had come full circle. Mm-hmm. And, the, and the, the odd thing about this is that, uh, you know, usually there's a lot of murders in, South, in, in Florida. Elsewhere, in particular, and you know they're in the news one day and they uh, two days something, and they disappear. You never hear about what happens. <clears throat> this case keeps coming up over and over again. Uh, just uh, last year, there was another big uh, investigation with some uh, uh, anthropologists or archaeologists that were uh, involved in digging up uh, near the house where she lived and thinking that her body might be there. And so that was on the TV news, uh, in the in the newspapers, and uh, we just shook our heads. It was just unbelievable that this story, uh, we seem somehow be connected with this story, and uh, it, it just keeps uh, coming Unfortunately, back. they didn't find anything. No, they didn't. Yeah. Animal bones. They're looking in the wrong spot. We told them where it was. Or yeah. Or they mean, they did. <laughs> <laughs> well, Denny also yeah. had pinpointed the same the field, field that Renee had. Yeah, right. So uh, this is just, you know, conjecture. I'm asking you to theorize here, but if you've got two people independently that point to the same field, what does that suggest yeah, to you? Many decades apart. <laughs> yeah, you think that they would uh, search there. It's, it's, uh, it's fenced off, and, uh, you know, it's, it's large, though. So, you know, I mean, it would take, take a long time to bulldoze the whole area to acres, you know, probably 25 acres or so. And so they've never done anything. You know, they walked around, searched, looked for some kind of signs. But, you know, any kind of sign of a burial would be long gone by now. Yeah, Yeah, I don't know the cadaver dogs, you know, what window that they have to work in uh, as well as... Yeah, I don't either. You know, 25 acres would take a long time. They can can do some uh, soil testing and things, uh, but that's going to be pretty laborious. Whatever happened to the alleged suspect? That's a good question. And I, I've never found any reference to him. Oh, didn't we hear that he was in jail for another in prison? For oh, another, maybe so. Yeah, That's right. I'm thinking, yeah. For something else. Uh, it was the, the, the mother's boyfriend was the, the major suspect. Uh, uh, eventually, he ended up in prison for something else. So, but yeah. he was never charged in that case. Uh, so we're talking about uh, this brand new book, Phenomena, Harnessing Your Psychic Powers. Uh, tell me about number 137. <laughs> oh, yeah, Wolfgang Pauly. Well, 
Wolfgang Pauli was a theoretical physicist who was a mm-hmm. friend of Jung's, Carl Jung's, and was also a Nobel winner. And one of the things he was fascinated with was the DNA of light, which is basically what the number 137 stands for. I don't understand the mathematics, but I get the abstract stuff. And he, at the age of 58, he had to go into the hospital for some routine surgery. And when he found out that he was going to be in room 137, he turned to his assistant and said, I'm not going to get out of here alive. And he died in the hospital. He felt that the number 137 was uh, one of the mysteries of life, and uh, he he could explain it in ways that uh, it's it's a number that can't be divided except by one and itself, for one mm-hmm. thing. Uh, and it, there's just a, a number of mysterious things about it. And uh, actually, we were invited, or Trish uh, was invited, and I went along with her to uh, Toronto for a... Uh, uh, a TV show, uh, what was it called, Trish? Uh, it was William Shatner's... Weird or What? Yeah, Weird or What. Yeah, this was a few years ago. And to talk about uh, <laughs> Wolfgang Pauli's 137. Well, no, actually, they just wanted to talk about Pauli. I don't know that it was really the... The 137 yeah. part, yeah. Uh, uh, and as soon as we got to town, you know, we're stuck in traffic downtown, and what do we see with number 137 on a building in very large numbers and we encountered uh we kept track of it we wrote a, a blog post about it the number of times we encountered 137 it was a it was a, a gym and it had closed and it had moved to another part of town and there we saw that again and we saw a sign that somewhere else that said 137 so-and-so had moved <laughs> it was just uh and what's interesting is um arthur <clears throat> arthur i miller wrote a book about the, uh, the DNA of light, but also the sum of the Hebrew letters of the word Kabbalah. Mm-hmm. And the fine structure constant turns out to be uh, exquisitely tuned, I think, to allow life as we know it to exist on the planet. Okay, this is like really heady stuff. Okay, 137 is the prime number that can only be divided by one and by itself. So this number became so puzzling to physicists that Richard Feynman, who won the Nobel Prize in 1965, said that physicists should put up a sign in their office to remind themselves of how much they don't know, and the sign would be simple, 137. Yeah, can you imagine that, walking into a physicist's office, and they're framed as a print in the, on the wall in the corner that just simply says 137. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's... And that number really did... It, it welcomed us into Toronto, and it said goodbye when we left. Right. Because I, I remember I was, t- I was, I had taken some pictures of where we had seen the number, and I was uh, emailing it to several people. And I looked down at the time on my on my phone when I emailed it, and the time was one thirty-seven. Mm-hmm. I thought, okay, <laughs> I get it. So um, I'm going to come back from this top of the hour break here, and we'll talk more about your book and kind of the the background about how you guys, as co-authors, how you write a book your strategies and and uh, right. how many arguments that you have and how those are solved. And, That'll be fun. <laughs> yeah. Okay, it's always enjoyable to talk with you both, Trish and Rob. Please stay right there. We'll be right back. Okay. Rob and Trish McGonnell, excuse me, Rob and Trish McGregor, they're the authors of a number of books. You heard me talk about the, the multitude. 
This is the brand new one called Phenomena, Harnessing Your Psychic Powers. And if you go to phenomena111.com, you'll find more about the book and more about Rob and Trish McGregor. Our special guests this morning on Exploring Unexplained Phenomena. Before I go to this top of the hour break, uh, I want to talk uh, to you folks as listeners, both live as well as uh, uh, on the archive, the importance of supporting conversations like we're having can't be overstated. Uh, we started this program back in 1984, and there was a, a, a wasteland, if you will. There were no other programs back then that were doing what we envisioned that we could do. And you folks have supported us and KZUM Radio throughout the years. Uh, the Exploring Unexplained Phenomena broadcast celebrated 35 years on the air last October. And it's because of your support and your support of nonprofit, non-commercial, independent KZUM Radio. The folks at KZUM have never once looked over my shoulder and said, you can't talk to that guest. You got to do this. You can't do that. They have trusted our creativity and our good sense to do a great program. We try every week to try to bring you some really interesting conversation. And I hear from so many people how the program over the years uh, has touched their lives, how this is a must-listen-to program. And then I hear from folks that are saying, oh, I just love that conversation. I've ordered their book. I can't wait to read it. Well, KZUM has got bills to pay, and we depend upon you folks as listeners. Please do join the kind folks that called in and went online last weekend. They donated over $1,000 on the program. We haven't had a single donation this morning, and I really hope that we have the phones ring and some online donations. 402-474-5086. That number again is 402-474-5086. You can also do the, the uh, uh, donation online at kzum.org. You're going to feel great when you do so. Make your donation right now. No matter if you're at the workplace or just kicking around home. With us is Rob and Trish McGregor, and they're the authors of the brand new book called Phenomena, Harnessing Your Psychic Powers. So I have an interesting number, Trish, as you know, as a birth date, 11 11 51. And so, Rob and Trish, I enjoyed that part of your book where you talked about all the people that were getting 11-11 showing up. Yeah, I, I found this fascinating. Okay, in, 2000, in 2011, a Google search for 11-11 brought up 200 million likes. Seven years later, in 2018, the same query brought back 472 million. In August 2019, that figure stood at 781 million. So, there, I mean, there may be a lot of reasons for this figure leaping by 309 million in a single year or 581 million in eight years. But I think one explanation is awareness that 11-11 is significant in some way. Mm -hmm. 
And, and I mean, that this, this also goes back to Jung, who Jung had a lot of numerical synchronicities in his life. He always believed that numbers represent an archetype of order that's become conscious. And once you figure out what the pattern is pertinent to your own life, then you tend not to see those numbers anymore, or at least not as frequently. But 1111 seems to be really persistent. So I don't know, Scott. I mean, what's it been like living as a 1111? <laughs> well, I'm, I'm grateful that I've been able to do it so far. And I, I hope to uh, have many more sunrises and sunsets. Um, I've always thought about, gosh, there's, they're interested in 1111, more folks celebrating my birthday. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, really, that's good. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, Scott, uh, this year is 2020, uh, and 2020 vision is the year of the year of vision, maybe the year of the visionary. And uh, this month we've had two very interesting days uh, numerologically. On the second, we, it was 02, uh, 0202 2020. Yeah, and then next week in like four or five days, it's going to be 02 2020. So lots, oh. of, lots of twos. Interesting, interesting. Um, where do you guys go for, for your research? How did, how did you pull together the book Phenomena? Well, I think some of this stuff we've been doing most of our adult lives, um, and now it just seems that there's, I don't know, there's just more information available. About the kinds of things we're right. interested in. Uh, you know, we st- when we started out, there was no internet, no Google, anything like that. So it, uh, you know, we so we ended up accumulating about twenty five hundred or three thousand books uh, that we have here. But uh, you know, but a lot of it uh, things can be found uh, by just uh, googling. And uh, also, you know, in talking to people, you know, if you if you go to a dinner party, it used to be. Or, and you start talking about paranormal stuff, people would look at you weird. Now, 30 years later, or whatever it is, if you do that, it's like everybody perks up because yeah. it seems that most people have had some type of experience. Mm-hmm. They may not have talked about it with anybody else because they might think it's too strange. Mm-hmm. But a lot, a lot of people are very dismissive of astrology, uh, but you know what? The, the, mil- the, the millennials are very interested in astrology. We've Several people have sent us articles that appeared in Atlantic uh, and the uh, New York, York Times, Times too. about the, this uh, uh, renewed interest in <clears throat> astrology. Uh, just uh, some statistics: back in 2005, uh, there was a, uh, a survey by Baylor University that found that only 15 percent of uh, the people surveyed had an interest or a normal sense. So move ahead 12 years, Chapman University did a, a similar uh, survey, and they found 75% of the people believed in some aspect of the paranormal. Now, the, the questions might have been different. The, the people they went to it might have been a different group of people. But I, I still, I think that, that jump from 15 to 75 is significant. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, one day we were at the dog park, and a, a woman was there who I hadn't really spoken to very much, and she was... We were commenting on each other's dogs, and she mentioned that her husband had passed away. So I immediately said, have you felt him around? And afterwards I thought, well, that's probably a really invasive question. But all of a sudden she started telling me a whole series of things that had happened to her that she felt involved spirit contact with her husband. So it's stuff like that, you know, when people 
tell you some some personal facts in their life, if you take it and then say, okay, what what has happened to you? What have you felt? And they talk. Now, I think as part of the the whole process of uh, individuation of becoming uh, aware, and uh, I don't know what it is that that the switch gets thrown that that allows people to go from living life on autopilot as kind of a reacting agent to mm-hmm. life's experiences to one where, uh, as you both do, that you wake up with a sense of curiosity, a sense of uh, playful adventure, uh, and uh, uh, living your lives like that. I think it may yeah. be that when people do have that peak extraordinary experience, mm-hmm. the, intellectually, they either have to grapple with that and consider enlarging their horizons, letting more possibilities in, or they have to somehow deny it, to blow it off, to bag it, right. uh, in which case they're repressing part of themselves. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. So when uh, Trish and I met, we were both... Uh, Living, we both had this interest in the paranormal, but we were surrounded by people who had no interest in it. And so we would read these books and have no one to talk to about it. And when we met, when I interviewed her afterwards, we were talking, and it turned out that we had both been reading uh, these books, uh, Seth books by Jane Roberts. And uh, we didn't know anybody who was reading those books or had any interest in the subject matter. So suddenly, you know, that, that was a, a point where we where we hit it off that we knew we had something in common. Then I asked him, I said, Rob, do you know what synchronicity is? <laughs> and he said, yeah, I think so. It's meaningful coincidence, right? I thought, okay, you passed my test. <laughs> oh. um, in your table of contents, uh, you've got two chapters, seeing things and hearing things. Uh, can you guys give me kind of a thumbnail comment on those two chapters? Yeah, the uh, thing about uh, seeing things, uh, some, you, you see things in different ways, it's, uh, visions. Sometimes they, they come in a, a creative way that are pretty startling. Uh, for example, uh, there's a comic book writer named Doug Mitch, and he was involved uh, with Marvel Comics for years back in the 70s and early 80s, uh, writing Planet of the Apes uh, uh uh, comics, and he also wrote the scripts for the first two movies of um, Planet uh, Planet of the Apes. And so, uh, there's one particular day he was very wrapped up in writing a scene for uh, for one of these Planet of the Apes comic books, and, and it was about a black hooded gorilla, uh, a guy named Brutus. And in the scene, Brutus uh, invades the hero's home, grabs the man's partner by the neck, and held a gun to her head. So. The, the hero uh, would do what he demanded. So just as Mensch finished writing the scene, he heard his wife calling from him from the other side of the house, and he thought well, her voice sounded strange. So he heard it across the house, and when he entered the living room, he saw her, uh, he saw a man in a black hood with an arm around her, his wife's neck, and uh, and in the other hand, clutch, clutching clutching a gun and holding it to her head, and it was exactly what he'd uh, he'd written about and it was uh you know so immediate in relationship to the writing and such an exact uh, du- uh duplicate of uh, what he had written that uh it, you know it 
it was like a, being in an altered state. And uh, he gave an interview with, uh, to about this experience to an, a writer named Jeffrey Cripple, who wrote about sure. it. Sure. Uh, his book, uh, Mutants and Mystics, uh, Science Fiction, Superhero Comics, and the Paranormal. So that's a fascinating story. It's, uh, and it scared him, you know. He didn't know if, if, if he should even write anymore yeah, for a while. Right. It was like uh, precognition or was uh, was a telepathy. Uh, you know, it's uh, sometimes these things just cross over each other and you, you can't really tell, you can't really categorize it because, what, what, what he, you know, he was writing this scene before this happened unless maybe that person was already in the house you know <laughs> so you know it's a fascinating story and it also shows that you know uh, these uh, paranormal experiences you know aren't all uh, uh, butterflies and flowers some of them are you know can be very dramatic and uh, mm -hmm. a negative impact uh, mm -hmm. on his life but uh, you know it's something that uh, you know what that he wrote it what did it what did that mean he tuned into it definitely yeah, and I always wondered, well, what happened afterwards? I mean, <laughs> you know, that, that was one thing Cripple didn't go into. Yeah. What's the aftermath here? Was the guy arrested? Was he, yeah. you know, was the wife hurt? Yeah, and, I, and I've tried to contact him, and I've gotten any response from him. But, but uh, you know, because that, that uh, left us curious, wondering, oh, what, 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 happened, what happened next? <laughs> Yeah, uh, as a curious aside, Jeffrey Cripple uh, is a Nebraska native. Ah, cool. And uh, I've... That's right. Have, yeah, ask him. Ask him. <laughs> we've had Dr. Have Cripple had on, on the, your show? Yes, we've had Dr. Cripple as a guest. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, ask him. <laughs> I think he wrote a book with Whitley, didn't he? Whitley yeah, Schreiber. he did. Yeah. But there have been a lot of science fiction... A lot of science fiction writers have inadvertently, in their writing, tuned in I think on the future, um, probably. I mean, I think Jules Verne probably holds the prize for this. Um, I mean, in 1870, 20,000 leagues under the sea, he imagined an underwater ship powered by electricity. Mm -hmm. So, American inventor Simon Lake was inspired by the novel and invented his own submarine, the Argonaut, in 1888. So that was 18 years later. Then, in From the Earth to the Moon, another Verne novel, published in 1865. He described the details of a space capsule that in 1969 sent astronauts to the moon. And he stipulated how long the flight would last, that it would be launched from Florida. It splashed down in the ocean. I mean, all this shows, I think, that when creative people are really plugged into the story, there is no time, there is no space. They just dive into whatever is appearing before them or... Yeah, one of the best stories I've ever come across uh, of a visionary uh, experience by a writer was by Edgar Allan Poe. Uh, the, he, he wrote a, a novel called The Narrative of Arthur Gordon Pym, P-Y-M. Uh, he never finished that novel, but it, it includes a scenario about three men and a 16-year-old boy who are uh, drifting as he in a, a lifeboat after being shipwrecked. And they're desperate, and, uh, on the, like on the brink of starvation, and they decided to draw lots to determine which of them will be killed and eaten. So the cabin boy, his name is Richard Parker, picks the dreaded short straw and is promptly stabbed and consumed. So move ahead 47 years to July 25, 1884, and uh, po uh, 47 years after Poe had stopped working on the novel, a 17-year-old cabin boy, same name, Richard Parker, 
was killed and eaten in a similar incident. Uh, so uh, Parker was uh, on his first voyage on the high seas, uh, boarding uh, uh, the, the uh, Minanet in uh, Southampton, England, and it was, which was headed for Australia. But when the ship reached the South uh, Pacific, it was just pummeled by a hurricane and sank, and the survivors were on this life uh, boat, and it was the uh, same number of people, and they had very few provisions, and after 19 days, they became desperate, and they, they actually uh, uh, found, found out later, they, did, uh, they discussed drawing lots to find out who the victim was, uh, who would be eaten by the others, but uh, they settled on Parker because he was delirious from drinking seawater, so uh, the remaining uh, crew survived on uh, the carcass uh, for another 35 days until they are rescued, uh, coincidentally or synchronistically, by the SS Montezuma, <laughs> which is aptly named after the cannibal king of the Aztecs. Oh, geez. Now, who, who makes this stuff up anyway? I mean, you know. <laughs> how, did, how did he come up with that story? The, the, the same name of the character, the age, and uh, the uh, same type of story, similar story, it's, it's astonishing. Now, this is Rob and Trish McGregor, and their website that is, if you will, a portal to a lot of their work, and also for more information on this book is phenomena111.com. The new book is Phenomena, Harnessing Your Psychic Powers. We'd like to thank Richard Russell for calling in a donation. Richard, thank you so much. And we encourage other folks out there listening to join Richard in supporting this uh, wonderful conversation on nonprofit, non-commercial, independent KZUM radio. Our phone number for donations is 402-474-5086, or you can do this securely online at kzum.org. Rob and Trish, the people listening now have a number of very similar ways of gathering information. We have our traditional ways of seeing and hearing and, if you will, to some extent, sensing and feeling. What are some other ways that they suddenly become aware that there's more information coming into their person? Could I use the term ESP? Yeah, you know, um, you mentioned one thing, Scott. <clears throat> you said, what about hearing things? And I just want to mention this. I'm not sure if hearing things is ESP or what it is, but here's an example. Um, we know a woman who lives in Wales, and she, uh, for the last 40 years, she's described herself as a clairvoyant psychic and a healer. And she hears voices, and it's always the same voice coming from inside of her head. She calls it her intuitive voice. Now, here's how it works. Mm -hmm. A couple of years ago, Jane and a friend planned to uh, spend a week in Spain, staying with people they knew whose home was on a mountaintop. And a guest room was already ready for them. And her friend had found an inexpensive flight and texted Jane that she could book them. <clears throat> but Jane suddenly got a resounding no without any reason given. And because she always followed the advice of this voice, she told her friend not to book the flight. The next day, her friend calls to, to tell her that flash floods had washed the guest room down the mountain and their visit would have to be delayed until September. So what is that about? You know, is that clairvoyance? Is it precognition? Is it some, something we don't even have a name for yet? Mm -hmm. Just picking up uh, intuitively. You, you notice, uh, 
Scott, that you ask us questions to explain uh, these this phenomena, and we we answer you with stories. <laughs> and, and that that's how our book is too. I mean, uh, we have theories and ideas, but our our books we're writers, we're novelists, and so when we write nonfiction. We're, our, our, our books are heavy on stories that we've gathered. And it's people's years. anecdotes. It's people's experiences. And, you know, you can't... I think that modern science, or science as it is now, at least in the old paradigm, encourages us to doubt our own experiences. You know, saying, oh, you're a cuckoo, you know, or you're that's silly, or it's just a dream. Yeah, if you hear voices, you're yeah. it's a hallucination. Mm-hmm. And there, interestingly enough, there's a new, I don't know how new it is, but there was a network called the Hearing Voices Network that was, I think, formed 30 years ago. And now it includes 20 nationally-based networks around the world. And they have a fundamental belief that there are many ways to understand the experience of hearing voices and other unusual or extreme experiences. Just because you hear voices does not necessarily mean you're schizoid or that you're bipolar. And that's what this network does. I mean, they encourage people to listen to the voices. Yeah, and it's a little different approach, but uh, many of these people who belong to that network and many people who, uh, some people who hear voices are, n- are not happy about it. Uh, and with, uh, they're, because, you know, the voices are telling them to kill themselves or kill somebody else oh, or something geez. like that. But there's uh, more and more interest in the people who hear voices and see it in a positive way, such as psychics and mediums that, that hear voices. So there's two sides to the story, and how do they blend together? So. Well, yeah, I mean, I think intuition is multifaceted. Yeah, our common friend, the late and great Martin Caden, in his book Ghosts of the Air, writes about a transatlantic um, airplane flight back in the 1960s, <clears throat> and a woman goes into medical emergency She's going to give birth, and there's complications. they got to get the plane down, and the nearest airport was Salt Lake City. Back then, there was a different approach. You had to fly down through a canyon to get to the airport. And so the um, uh, airplane was full. The pilots elect to fly down uh, during a blinding snowstorm, instruments only, and they're going to try to land the plane to save this woman's life and, and the life of her baby that's, that's soon to be coming. Um, so it's white knuckle. Um, they're trying to follow this beam sent out by the airport that undulates and wavers because of the snowstorm. It's not a perfect straight line. So they're doing their best to try to follow that beacon, that, that beam, down to the airport. And Martin wrote in the book that the pilot's deceased best friend, who was himself a pilot, suddenly speaks out in the cockpit and tells his friend at the wheel to fly left of the beam. Wow. And the pilot says, what? The co-pilot didn't hear this voice and says, what, what do you mean? The pilot grabs the yoke, and he flies the plane left off the beam, trusting that deceased buddy's voice. Um, the snowstorm parts. They look out the right side of the airplane, and they are just 
literally feet away from grazing the canyon wall with the tip of the airplane wing. God. Uh, and had they not followed that dead pilot's advice, everybody on board would have been killed. Yeah. Wow. So yeah, he- hearing voices, it doesn't mean that you are schizophrenic or bipolar. Uh, there may be other things going on here and things that, that cause us to, to really wake up. Uh, Rob, I want to start first with you. Uh, in fact, let me do the bottom of the hour break first, and let's come back, and I want to ask you each, Rob and Trish, to kind of go back in your memory and talk about an experience you had either as a boy or a girl, a young adult growing up, that maybe helped chart the path of where you are right now as an adult, okay? Okay. This is Rob and Trish McGregor. M-A-C, capital G-R-E-G-O-R. That's a good Scottish name. (laughs) Go Scotland. Uh, The book is called Phenomena, Harnessing Your Psychic Powers. The website's easy to find. It's phenomena11, that's numerical, 111.com. Phenomena111.com. Our special guest this morning on Exploring Unexplained Phenomena You know, if you already gave and donated during the fundraiser, that is fantastic. I did. And as soon as I did, I felt great for supporting something I really believe in. If you've been listening to this morning's broadcast and the words of Rob and Trish, if they've touched something with inside yourself, you know the importance of supporting this kind of conversation. Uh, Please do call on a donation at 402 474-5086. We appreciate that, and we appreciate you very much. Scott Colborn with Exploring Unexplained Phenomena. I sure like that break. Uh, Jim, we just had uh, Kevin call in a donation, and uh, he went the $89.30 route. So that's exactly what I did, Kevin, uh, when I made my donation. And uh, he said, keep on, guys. We'll do that. Thanks, Kevin. You keep on keeping on, too. Richard and Kevin, thank you so much. It's guys two, gals zero. So, ladies, let's get some donations coming in. 402-474-5086. And uh, Kevin and Richard, thank you so much. That number again, 402-474-5086. With us are our special guests, Rob and Trish McGregor, and uh, I hear a dog barking. Yes, there's two dogs barking. They suddenly ran outside barking wildly at something out there. I don't know what that was. Oh, man, I got to go. They went out to bed. Speaking about something going on outside, I got to think about the part of your book where you're having um, a woman who's had... UFO close encounters and her quote-unquote very weird husband and some other oh, folks yeah, with Hopkins. <laughs> and Rob looks up and you've, you've been talking about unexplained phenomena and some conversations about the men in black. Rob looks up and he sees somebody oh, yeah at about 1 o'clock in the morning looking in at your 
your gathering. Right, and it was uh, he was a man who was dressed all in black. And uh, well, first tell who was there. It was Betty Hill. Yeah, no, no, it wasn't Betty. Betty. Was there. Yeah, uh, it was a, a group of people who were involved in the, the paranormal. A couple uh, psychics and uh, researchers. And uh, Betty Hill had been there, but not at, not at that not that particular time. And mm-hmm. oh, that weird couple, the woman. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, but, but Hopkins uh, yeah, did a regression on her to her uh, UFO experience. But, uh, yeah, uh, they uh, it, it was an intense conversation going on at the time. Mm-hmm. And I just noticed suddenly somebody stand, standing at our sliding glass uh, doors that lead out to the parking lot adjacent to the townhouse where we lived and staring in at us. Uh, so I stand up and turn, and he takes off. So I go out and open the sliding glass doors, and uh, he could have easily, easily just vanished into the night very easily. But what he did, he ran between cars, ducking down uh, like he's hiding, and then looking back at me, then runs to another car, looks back at me. It's just very weird uh, what he was doing. And that's when everybody was in the parking lot. Yeah, <laughs> and, and Trish called 911, and... The response was what was really startling. Suddenly, within five minutes, four minutes, three minutes, one cop, one cop car after another came ripping into the uh, uh, the tennis club where we lived and just uh, uh, searching for this guy. And we we thought, what? I mean, this is uh, you know, it, it, nobody got shot or anything, but apparently somebody did get shot. About a mile away, somebody had been killed. Uh, in a shooting, and they were looking for the guy, and so they thought this might be the person. So that's that's what uh, resulted in the the major response so so quickly because they were nearby. But um, they never found him. Yeah, they never found the guy. But uh, it was just uh, an odd coincidence, mm-hmm. synchronicity that we were talking about men in black, and there's this guy, <laughs> uh, man in dressed in black, a man in black at our door, and then he acts so oddly when, and that that's what uh, the men in black phenomena is known for, uh, odd behavior. I mean, uh, there's a story I remember where somebody hands the guy a pen to write something down, and he looks at it as if he's never seen a ballpoint pen before, and he didn't know how it worked. <laughs> you know, things like that. Uh, their their clothes are on a little backwards or something. That oh yeah. They don't, they don't yeah. look like they're you know in familiar uh, attire. You know that that sort of thing. So it's just a uh, uh, anomaly about that that entire phenomenon. Good thing we weren't writing about murder that night. Yeah. <laughs> I would have really been freaked out. In 1988, um, Lincoln, Nebraska, we put together a a good group of folks, and we hosted the uh, International Symposium for the Mutual UFO Network. And one of the people coming was Bud Hopkins. And so because of the intense interest uh, and the books coming out, uh, I formed with a friend of mine, the um, Extraordinary Experiences Support Group. We began meeting in 1988, and we met monthly for many, many years of people that had had close encounter and onboard experiences to give them a place to go uh, monthly to eat some shared food, some camaraderie, some fellowship, and also be able to talk openly without fear of ridicule. Uh, mm-hmm. One of the things Rob and Trish 
that I wanted to say about Bud is that I appreciate his work and his dedication. I don't think that Bud was a perfect individual. Uh, Who is? <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, I'm not talking from a glass house myself. I, I am a sinner. Uh, uh, Scott, since you mentioned uh, Bud, I should say that uh, uh, we made a mistake in, in this uh, little explanation about the man in black. The one, the woman who was there who had been uh, had an abductive experience. It was Bud Hopkins, not Whitley Strieber, who had uh, uh, get, uh, taken her back in a. Uh, no, you didn't say Strieber. You said Hopkins. Oh, did I? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I like yeah. Hopkins. He's a nice guy. Yeah. One of the things I I said about Bud is that. Um, with all due respect to the incredible work that he did to document the encounter experiences, he seemed to solicit from one group who were having negative-based uh, experiences. If somebody, for example, contacted Bud and said, hey, it's, it's wonderful. I think that these guys are welcome in my house anytime. They've healed me. They've helped me. Uh, I regard them as being uh, friends or collaborators. Bud would say, thank goodness I'm glad that you're doing good and appreciate your contact. But that data point wouldn't necessarily get included in the eventual data that suggested that people were undergoing these abduction, quote-unquote, experiences. So that's my, that's my only critique. Um, mm -hmm. I appreciated his methodology. He was a very sharp guy, an incredible painter. Um, and Robin Trish, what do you think? Do you think that the UFO stuff did influence his art? Well, you know, we asked him about that. He he said, um, he says, I hope not. Yeah. But we always had the sense that, you know, his art, after he started writing these abductee books and UFO stuff, it, that became his life. You know, I think the right. art became secondary. Yep. Yeah, so we met him at a, a UFO conference in Hollywood, Florida, uh, back in the 80s. Uh, <clears throat> and he went on a radio show and was, was talking about what he did with uh, people who had uh, contact. And a couple of people called in, and one particular woman, he, uh, he thought her story was really legit, and he wanted to uh, talk to her and meet her and possibly uh, take her back uh, to the experience. And but he, he didn't have a car. Uh, he'd just taken a taxi from the airport. And we said, we'll drive you. We'll, we'll drive you. <laughs> so, so we took him up uh, to uh, probably about uh, 50, 60 miles uh, north of Lake Worth, Florida, and we met this couple. And my observation about Bud is he was very focused on the woman who had the experience and uh, and he looked outside and said, yeah, I could see where, you know, they could uh, pull you up because she she had seen this, like, tube of light, and she was with these three small beings that they carried her actually right out of bed, floated her right through the wall and into this tube and up through the tube. And uh, on the way up, they she she actually pointed down to um, the National Enquirer office. Yeah, uh, Christmas tree. Yeah, there's a huge Christmas tree there and a big display. And uh, she uh, and Bud asked her, "What did they think?" And she said, "They weren't impressed." But the the uh, 
the thing that uh, struck me about this whole experience was her husband was very strange. I mean, he was the guy who liked to dress in black himself, and he wore a satanic, gold satanic uh, devil head around his neck. And so I got to talking with him and found out that he is uh, a retired or an ex-Baptist minister who, who just said, I've gone, I, I'm, I'm working on the other side now. I thought, whoa. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah, but uh, uh, Bud didn't react to the man at all. And I thought, is that, and I kept thinking, is that somehow related to this experience, what this guy is about? He's a big guy, and he had this white, waving hair uh, like a a lion's mane, and he was a very dominant figure. And uh, what did did this play in his life? And uh, And in her experience. In her experience, if anything, you know, but uh, he didn't on that at all and he never said anything about it and so you know it to me it seemed like that would be something and he was with them a lot longer than we were too well let me ask you this you know, robin trish this is this is a, a point that grant cameron the canadian researcher made last november at the starworks usa ufo symposium and by the way i'd, I'd love to have you guys attend sometime it's a fabulous event but so oh, this is this is Cameron's thesis. He says this stuff is self-reflective, and he contrasted um, the group that Paula Harris has been with, with Ricardo Gonzalez, the uh, Peruvian contactee, that go to a place and meditate for several days. They pray. They ask for an encounter, and they have one that is right over their heads. It's benevolent. It's positive. Yeah. He contrasts that with the Skinwalker Ranch, right? where there are ex-Special Forces guys with AK-47s, hand right. grenades, forty-five caliber handguns that are walking the perimeter, um, heavily monitored, they're loaded for bear, they're ready to shoot anything that, that comes. And he says, okay, what happens there? Well, you've got werewolves and wolves larger than cars. You've got <laughs> beans, uh, creatures showing up that are impervious to bullets that are running around. And he said, it, the nature of this is self-reflective. You know, uh-huh. if you yeah. if you are putting out an energy, that's what comes back to you. So when I read your comments, Robin Trish, about that guy that was the satanic uh, guy, uh-huh. I thought to myself, yeah. there's another example right there. 
is. I mean, you know, a couple of years ago, we met with Whitley and Peter Lopetta in the town of Casadega, which is in northern Florida, or mm-hmm. north of Orlando. And it's spiritualist. Yeah, spiritualist community. And during dinner, one of the comments that Whitley made, he said, I don't think that abductions are happening as frequently anymore because they've got what they need. Yeah, I agree. And I go, well, what is they need? He said, the DNA. Mm-hmm. So I just thought that was an interesting remark. Yeah, there there could have been, from a psychosocial viewpoint, there could have been enough of a bubble arising in everybody's consciousness that uh-huh. that was also part of that whole methodology of the press, the information. God bless Paula Harris. I've mentioned her before, but she's doing really important work to remind people that that when we think of quote-unquote aliens, they're not necessarily three to four feet tall, gray, right. acting like robots. She goes back yeah. and talks about the early contactees in the 50s and to some extent the, the 60s, and she talks about some of the modern-day people that are reporting experiences in Central and South America, um, that these are not gray beings. Oftentimes they look very similar to you and I. Hey, would you do me a favor? Whenever you talk to Whitley, tell him that I think of him with a lot of respect because we got off to a kind of a bad start many years ago. He had just published Communion, and there was a toll-free number that was given that you could actually call in and leave comments. And Whitley had employed a whole bank of people to answer phones to handle all the inquiries about this book. So I called in and the operator said, just a minute, and Whitley himself came on the phone. When I had identified myself as being the state director for the Mutual UFO Network, he just unloaded on me. And he said that, you know, blah, 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 blah. You guys are trashing me, blah, 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 blah. And I tried to just say, you know, Whitley, I've got great respect for you, and I appreciate your courage and, you know, in writing your book. So, I still think that. Yeah, way. he had uh, issues with MUFON. I remember it just uh, he because he, he was never he, he has never really said and uh, come out what these beings are, whether they're. Well, he also thinks there's a facet of the dead involved in this whole yeah, abduction and, thing, and that. It, may not be anything extraterrestrial at all, mm-hmm. uh, but something else completely interdimensional. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so, yeah, there, there's that, uh, that aspect. Yeah, we'll mention that uh, to you. And I, I remember him saying that. I, I am, he, At one point, he said, I am no longer part of the UFO community. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> he, he was just so uh, fed up with the reaction because he got a lot of negative reaction. People made fun of him. Well, also, that book pretty much destroyed his career for a while. Yeah. So I think it was that to contempt um, As we close the program, Rob, uh, first with you and then with Trish. Uh, oh, you know what? We got time. I want to ask you both about your childhood experiences. I, I mentioned Uh-oh. that before the break, <laughs> yeah, and I forgot to. So yeah, let's, yeah. if we can, in the next couple of minutes, let's cover that. Did you, each okay. of you have something that happened when you were younger that seemed to really portray what you're doing now as adults? 
Yeah. Okay. So, for myself, when you asked that question earlier, uh, the, uh, something came right to mind immediately, and this goes back to when I was either in second or third grade, uh, because I know that that neighborhood uh, where this happened, and I wasn't living there in fourth grade. I had moved, so second or third grade. Uh, so I was pretty young, and it was at night, and I was outside by myself, and this never happened before. I would play with kids in the in the evening, but as soon as it started getting dark, my mother would call me in, and uh, and the other kids would go in. But nobody was out there. It was after dark, and I was standing there by myself. I remember right where it was, this intersection. We lived on a, a like a dead end, but I was at the intersection on the other side, and I was staring up, and I saw these lights in the sky. They were blue, green, yellow, and they were making different motions, circling, uh, darting back and forth. And I was just staring up, fascinated by by this. And I, I, you know, I didn't know what it was, and I don't know if anything else happened. Uh, but I, I just remember then being in the house and uh, telling my parents what I saw. And the next day, my father came home from work and said, "Hey." Uh, I heard on the radio that other people also saw these lights in the sky, so you weren't picking that up. <laughs> so that that's the experience that has stuck with me all these years. And like I said, it, it, from my perspective, all it was was looking up at these lights, unusual uh, lights. If anything more happened, I don't know. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Rob. Trish, how about you? Um, for me, uh, I was thinking about this, too, and I, I was born and raised in Venezuela. And when I was about three, we moved from Caracas, the capital, to um, Maracaibo. My father was a, an accountant for Exxon. So we lived in a, an American sub-camp, they called it. And one day it was raining, and I was five. I was sitting out. My parents had this long bench on the front porch, and I was sitting there. Don't ask me why, in a bench, <clears throat> watching the rain. And I fell off the bench, hit my head, and ended up with a concussion and ended up losing part of my hearing in my left ear. Oh, God. And when I was in the hospital, I remember thinking, what, what was that really about? What, how is this going to impact the rest of my life? You know, I knew there had to be some deeper thing there. And I think really that, that's where it all started for me. You know, I mean, I'd always been interested in ghosts and hauntings and that kind of thing, but that really... For me, it was the was a turning point. Rob and Trish, I want to thank you so much for taking time from your schedule to be with me. I really enjoyed reading your book. Uh, it's a compen- we love being with you, Scott. Yeah, <laughs> you're thank great you. host. Your book, Phenomena, is a compendium of all sorts of interesting things that again help inform each one of us that there's more going on than just consensus reality. And your book is a breath of fresh air. I hope it's read by many people and helps more and more people to be curious, to grow and evolve. And those are good things. So from Lincoln, Nebraska to Florida, we send you a lot of appreciation. Rob and Trish, thank you. And we sent you some Florida weather. I just want to mention one last thing. Uh, Within the last uh, six weeks or so, we started a podcast called The Mystical Underground. I invite your listeners to take a listen. Oh, sure. And is that is that link there on the Phenomena 111 page? I think it is. Yes, it's under uh, 
the Mystical Underground podcast. Yeah, it's, it's in, uh, you can go into any of the uh, podcast sites and put in the Myst- Mystical Underground. Uh, it'll come up. Okay. And we want to have you on, as on a guest to talk about ghost hunting. Oh my goodness! Well, I've I've already listened to two of those as I've been preparing taxes. So, thank you. All right. <laughs> okay, all the best for Lincoln. Okay. Okay. Thank you again. I know. Bye. And uh, that was Rob and Trish McGregor, M A C capital G R E G O R. Rob and Trish McGregor, the author of many books, including Phenomena: Harnessing Your Psychic Powers. Their website is phenomena111.com. And go to any of the podcast websites to check out their podcast. Enter Mystical Underground. Jim Shorty, uh, we've got a gentleman who sent a donation in online. Online, Kevin, $89.30. That's awesome. Thanks a lot. And Richard, we thank you very much for your donation as well. There's still about maybe three minutes left. We can answer one or two more phone sure. calls. I mean, I would love to have to put on music so I could talk to one of you people on the phone. Uh, give us a call with a donation, 402-474-5086. And we'd love to hear from you as we wind down exploring unexplained phenomena. Yeah, every little bit helps. Don't, don't think that your donation isn't going to make a little, any difference because they all do. Last week, we had so many folks that called in. We sure appreciate that. We did over $1,000, and uh, we'd like to keep that momentum up. Uh, KZUM is at about 28500 uh, and their goal is a uh, $40,000 mm-hmm. goal. So we're really working towards that. And you can help chip away at that with your donation at 402 474 or you can do it securely online at kzum.org. Jim, what, what's going on for the rest of the weekend for you? Oh, I think I'm just going to try and uh, enjoy the weather and get some things done. Kate, well, Rob and Trish wished us some Florida weather. What's looking for the rest of the day like today? What do you think? Uh, last I checked, they were forecasting a high of 48, which we'll take it. Which is close to 50. That's, that's close to 50, yeah. Yeah. I'm loving it. And it looks like there's sun outside. It is sunny. And the wind, has the wind calmed down? It has. And uh, out of the windows here, I do not see any clouds except way off in the distance. Cool. So, beautiful day. Folks, thank you so much for being part of the uh, EUP family, for listening to the show today. And we'll be with you next week, same time, same place. Until then, I'm Scott Colborne, Walk in Beauty.